Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest, someone whose weekly compendium I read like a Bible, and that is Michelle from Michelle Frugality and Freedom. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Well, it's really my honor. So Michelle has such an interesting story. She's managed to combine travel with her financial independence retire early journey for several years. That is at least before COVID hit. Michelle is the blogger behind Michelle Frugality and Freedom, and she also produces a weekly roundup of financial independence news, which you can find at hashtag AUSFI Weekly. Welcome once again, Michelle. Thank you very much. So, Michelle, how did you find out about the FIRE movement? How did you get involved in this? So, I got interested in general personal finance back when I was 26, feeling like I was adulting with my first full-time job and thought it's probably about time that I just learn about what it means to manage my money well. And around that time, it also caught the travel bug pretty hard. So, I wanted to be able to afford an international trip once a year within my budget. And so, After a couple of years of reading general personal finance information and investing in my first shares, I eventually found the FIRE movement. So a little bit more hardcore bloggers such as Early Retirement Extreme, Mr. Money Moustache, Frugal Woods, they were all talking about this idea of financial independence. So being independent of the need to work a day job, essentially. Yeah, once I heard that and knowing that some of these people were using that freedom that it gave them to travel, not just for a couple of weeks like I had been doing in the past, but, you know, doing that six months, even year round or other priorities like pursuing passions and not necessarily having to work in an office if it didn't suit them. That was certainly appealing to me. And that was when I was about 28 in 2012 that I came across that. What a journey since. You'd already been doing some saving and investing before you came across the FIRE concept. Is that right? Yeah, just a little. I was following the conventional wisdom of, yep, you save maybe 10% of your income towards retirement. You retire at 65. That's what everyone does. That's the that's the rule of sorts. It just really opened up my eyes when I understood that other bloggers were retiring in their 30s or 40s or moving into a different passion-based work as opposed to just sticking with a career just because that's the default path. That was thrilling to me for sure. It certainly is very liberating as someone speaking from experience. I mean, I actually didn't identify with the fire movement for a long time. I was like, no, I've got my very happy career. I'm working as a diplomat. I really love what I'm doing. I want to sort of be able to be financially independent so I can leave if I want, but I love what I'm doing. And then suddenly my workplace turned toxic, which can happen. And having that choice to be able to run the numbers and go and run the numbers again and run the numbers again and go, look, I can just walk out. And that's what I did. It's just so liberating. Yeah, for sure. And it is once you get a bit of an understanding about the numbers, like you can start to play with them a little bit. Like there's this uh, traditional number in the fire movement about this uh, 25 times rule. So in an ideal world, if you have uh, whatever your annual expenses might be, and so for an example, you know, $30,000 a year, if you're a on the lean frugal end like myself, if you can save up and invest 25 times that and uh, put that away, the returns that you'll get from that uh, should cover your lifestyle. So in an ideal world, you won't need to work again. You can retire early. That is only one option for the people that uh, do really like their jobs. They can continue to work, but have that um, buffer so they don't have to work as much. Or if the 
their office does change, uh, management changes, um, and they do want to uh, take a step back, they can do that. Yes, that 25 times rule, as much as, uh, you know, if you wanted to save 25 times $30,000 to cover your expenses, yes, it is an intimidating number at um, $750,000, that would be your ultimate fire number. But knowing that, um, you know, if you can earn a little bit instead at a more pleasurable pace, such as even if you are able to earn like $20,000 to cover that $30,000, then you only need to save the remainder. So save for the $10,000 that you have uh, left over. So times that by 25, you only need to have an investment portfolio of $250,000. And I know I got a little bit heavy into the maths there, but just knowing that the basis of that number um, in FIRE means you can play with it and make it uh, suit your individual lifestyle that you prefer. That makes sense because I guess a lot of people think that they need to sort of just retire totally. I guess a lot of people haven't thought of options of part-time work or I think it's the turn the barrister fire movement. Is that right? Where you can sort of do a bit of part-time work in different ways on the side? Yeah, the um, name came from the idea of working as a barista. So working in a coffee shop. So something that people uh, may enjoy in the US where the term is quite common is also they can get healthcare benefits as well by having a workplace such as, you know, Starbucks or so on. But it's not uh, limited, of course, to coffee shops. It's like whatever lower stress work that you may choose to do if you're able to do that in a way that gives you the lifestyle that you want like that's that's another great step towards fire and also this idea of coast fire as well that we haven't spoken about is about saving a certain amount now and letting the compounding do the work for you so yes when we were talking about that example of 750,000 that you might need to fire you might actually only need that in 30 years and knowing the way that compounding means investments double. So you've got a 30-year time frame to do that. You may actually only need to put $100,000 away now. Again, still a large number, but not as significant. So if you put $100,000 away now, keep going with your life, do do more fun things, but know that that's ticking away in 30 years, that will end up being $800,000. So covering your fire number on the long term. So that's coast fire. And that's very much um, what I'm keen on as well. Now, making sure that I'm living a lifestyle that I quite enjoy now and letting my investments compound and do the hard work for me. Well, certainly pre-COVID, you seem to be living a very enviable lifestyle that had quite a lot of travel involved. How has COVID affected your plans? Yeah, so I did spend the last two years pre-COVID, so pre-March 2020, traveling through the US and uh, New Zealand. So combining work and travel, I roughly work about six months of the year and travel and enjoy myself for the remainder. So in some kind of a semi-retirement date these days, since I was about 33 a few years ago. Yes, but it did put the uh, brakes on travel for sure. So I did make a quick decision to come back from New Zealand in March to return home to Adelaide uh, in Australia. And yeah, just needed to, at that time, uh, reassess goals like everyone did to get used to the lifestyle of being uh, grounded in one place. I did also have the 14-day self-isolation that I needed to go through. So I was fortunate that I was uh, staying with my parents at the time, enjoying mum's cooking, uh, home cooking and reconnecting with family and with friends in a different way than I might have if I was always on the road. It did also cancel my plans um, that I had for being in uh, Canada for six months also for working and and travelling. There are definitely upsides. I'm still uh, now in Adelaide and just 
have taken on a lease on an apartment. It's been quite a number of years since I've had my own place. So typically when I'm travelling, I'm um, house-sitting or staying in Airbnb, so moving around a lot. So I'm just enjoying the benefits of what it means to be in one spot for now. Picking up, now that COVID is kind of easing off a little bit more in my state, um, picking up some other hobbies such as uh, doing some dancing and some drumming and things like that. So things I couldn't necessarily do when I was uh, travelling so much if I wanted to work through like beginner levels, advanced and so on. So being in one spot does have its upsides and also a bit of a career change as well. So I was working uh, in event management, um, festival management for many years. And as as we all know, uh, COVID kind of put events on hold for a long while. Knowing that everyone was getting more accustomed to the working from home lifestyle, um, I shifted my work and career uh, to more freelance uh, online remote work. So that has been a, a good journey and it's something that probably... I wouldn't have done if I was still traveling because there's always some exciting sites to see. And so it's hard to make a little bit of progress on the, the goals, um, particularly in those career goals. So now with dedicated time in one spot, taking that freelancer approach and finding that the FI, that is freelancer independence, is actually giving me a lot of the benefits that I would be wanting from uh, financial independence as well in my lifestyle. Yeah, well, it's quite admirable that you were able to pivot like that. And as you know, it's been a very hard year for a lot of people who've seen their businesses or their careers or their industry just completely shift. And as you said, you worked in events and and festivals and they're very hard to have face-to-face during COVID. I know a lot of things have gone online and it's sort of okay, but it's not quite the same, is it? No, not quite the same. Um, part of my work has actually been in running digital events. So very, very well versed in running Zoom meetings and conferences and webinars now. So that was a skill set that I wouldn't have expected to have needed, um, you know, even a year ago. But uh, it does mean that there's definitely transferable skills from being an event organiser and being a, an office-based employee in many different sectors anyway, into this new digital space. Yeah, and it is quite exciting the way that digital technology enables us to be connected globally. Like I know FinCon this year didn't happen in person, but FinCon X meant that I could watch parts of it at least. I didn't quite get up at 3am, but I did get up, I think at about 6am, could watch parts of it from my living room in Australia, which is actually quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. Have found that other events as well. Um, so FinCon being um, about uh, financial bloggers and uh, financial media content creators um, based in the US. Yeah, other events and conferences like that are actually expanding to become more accessible in this time um, when we can't meet face to face. So it is opening up a lot of opportunities to be able to find out uh, content and connect with people, network uh, in different ways. So yeah, there's there's definitely opportunities that have opened up and still are opening up as we kind of settle into this as. I hate to say it, but as the new normal. What was it like pivoting to start this new digital work, this new work as a a VA, I think you call it, a virtual assistant? Was it scary at first? What were the sorts of things you had to think about when setting it up? I probably, I'm just trying to think of the timeline now. So it was late March that I, in a hurry, returned from New Zealand to Australia and had uh, maybe a couple of months while I was finishing off my previous work role remotely. To, before I decided to go down this freelance path. Yeah, so I've been uh, working as a virtual assistant, which essentially is a pretty broad term for anyone who assists um, other businesses or entrepreneurs uh, in an online way. So a virtual way, they can do that from uh, the comfort of their home, wherever that may be, or on the road, um, which is, uh, again, when travel resumes will be an avenue that I'd like to go down to. I just identified the different skills that I had um, as a previous office worker 
project coordinator, event organizer, and just saw how I could adapt those to an online context. And then just started putting the word out. Once you kind of tell other people that, yes, I'm now a virtual assistant, they believe you or they'll um, know that, oh, I've got a project that I might need doing. It might be a small one that, that could lead into a larger one. One of my very early clients um, back in June just posted a very quick um, message on a Facebook group. There's plenty for virtual assistants. So I picked up that very short sentence of a job ad that was going to be for four weeks of work. And now that's resulted in um, a year's worth of work with them three days a week. Uh, looking for those small opportunities has been has been wonderful. And just being quite clear on the things that I can do now in an online way and how that can benefit uh, other workplaces. Because I think everyone, even other businesses, are also more savvy now with being comfortable with work from home people. And so uh, remote workers is just another extension to that. So, yeah, I would encourage anyone who's thinking about going down a virtual assistant path. You can do it as a side hustle. You can move into it as as full-time. You can make it work for you. There's a mix of of uh, virtual assistant type projects where you can do it entirely in your own time or you may have more face-to-face and work business hours. There's lots of different opportunities out there and again it's so broad so I do everything at the moment from um, podcast production to digital marketing to some social media, some writing, um, some other general project coordination so lots of different pieces and that's also quite exciting to me is being able to work um, with different people and on different different skill sets. Wow, it sounds like you really do have some skill sets that are really suited and equipped for this modern era. It sounds like you have adapted, pivoted really quickly. Uh, I think so. And it has been surprising how um, relatively easy it is to adapt um, those office-based skills to online. But it does mean that I think everyone would have uh, some skills that they can do in a virtual assistant way. I know that some people make a living from data entry some people make a living from um, doing social media posts Uh, there's quite a a broad range like anything that you can recall doing in an office uh, essentially like if you can adapt that to an online way then yeah the world's your oyster (laughs) well it certainly does provide much more flexibility doesn't it it does yeah yeah both in the style of work and the number of clients and how long we work uh, with them but also the location so mostly I'm uh, working from my home office um, that I've got set up but also often do my work from uh, cafes and again in future potentially on the road as well as as one of these uh, digital nomads is the the cliche (laughs) so see how that goes. Well I'm sounding a little bit envious about that I mean I do work remotely myself but perhaps not to that same extent it sounds like kind of a fabulous lifestyle does it get lonely at all working by yourself or you prefer that? I have a mix in terms of the clients that I work with so some we do have regular meetings over Zoom admittedly so not in person but I do feel like I'm having some kind of face-to-face time of sorts Um, and I have also uh, joined a alternative um, community I guess that's for virtual co-working so I do often Um, do my work when I'm on a Zoom call with other remote workers where for half hour periods we're sitting in silence but on Zoom so we're in front of our computers with the accountability of getting our work done and then in 10 minute breaks after each half hour of work then we have the opportunity to to chat and get to know each other so now I feel like I'm working uh, alongside of sorts uh, with people that are from all over the world so often we'll be call- people calling in from uh, the US other parts of uh, Australia are all around uh, Europe so getting that extra dose of um, 
travel connection uh, or, or, yeah, responding to other um, international people at the moment, even though I'm just uh, stuck in the hometown now. So that's great. It is a great way to boost your productivity. I've done that a few times. I've had about three, maybe four people do some virtual Zoom co-working from time to time, not as perhaps as often as disciplined as you, but it is really amazing that when you see someone else working, even though you're not even talking, it just really helps you to focus. You don't tend to get up and get that extra cup of tea or put the load of laundry on or do other things. You actually just power through and get your work done. Yeah, and knowing that it's just really 30 minutes each time that you're committing to work. Like, that's really not that much. Like, yes, you can get your cup of tea in the 10-minute break, but 30 minutes, like, sure, I can do 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, you know, you add all those 30 minutes up and I've done a full six hours of one of the most productive days of work that I've done um, more so than I used to do in an office. So, yeah, I'm quite enjoying that. Yeah, exactly. And I think this concept about office productivity is a bit of a myth, actually. Like when I was in, still in the workforce, I used to work from home one day a week and I always felt very guilty about that one day at work, at home. I, I don't know why. There's no reason why I should feel guilty, but I always did. And I actually did a lot more work at home during that day to kind of make up for this sense of guilt. But when I was in the office, particularly because my, where, my desk where I was seated was close to an aisle and I'm a fairly friendly extroverted person. So All day, people would be stopping by to chat, ask directions, ask advice, ask a lot of things. Now, I'm a fairly sociable person. I'm happy to do that. But gee, it was so distracting sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like there there is that myth about the office productivity because now I know that I'm not being distracted by overhearing other co-workers gossip and um, also just using the the work kitchen seven times a day Um, yeah I'm getting more done but you you do need to balance that out with making sure that you socialize when working from home which I'm sure you're finding as well. Yeah well one of the things I've been doing now is I have a co-working space one day a week in the Canberra Innovation Network and to be honest I don't always get there for the whole day, one day a week, but it is just nice just to eyeball other people. And especially because a lot of the things that I'm doing are more in the kind of out there new territory space. You can really self-doubt yourself when you're sitting at home doing it. So being around other people who are, you know, prepared to push boundaries a little bit is really, really grounding. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's good advice for anyone who's um, finding themselves working from home these days, even if they're doing more conventional work as an employee, like making sure that you do still connect with other people for that accountability, but also just socialising so we don't go a little bit so crazy in our little four walls, each of us. So yeah, for sure. Exactly. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about a chapter that you wrote in the Aussie Firebook. And I know you had an important role too, in terms of editing and collating that compilation as well. And I know you will agree with me that it is quite an excellent publication that brings together over 20, or is it 20, Australian bloggers and podcasters in the FIRE community? Yeah, so um, there were 20 contributors uh, to this Aussie FIRE book, and that was um, put together by a new FIRE-focused stockbroker called Perla. Uh, So it was their vision, um, but they did, uh, knowing that I do do some uh, freelance work, uh, they did task me with um, putting together that that book and compiling and editing and uh, sourcing the authors from our wonderful FIRE community here in Australia. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun uh, to work on, a lot of hard work um, as well, trying to just distill down all of the uh, key ideas for FIRE for um, people that might be quite new to it, as well as uh, quite advanced on the path too. 
Um, but I uh, finished up um, that writing one of the final chapters that was talking about uh, different forms of capital that we have. And yes, the FIRE community um, and generally personal finance do really fixate on this one thing of uh, financial capital. You know, it's all about the money that you have in the bank account or in savings and uh, investments, all of that. But actually, we forget that we have all these other forms of wealth at our uh, disposal. And, you know, that cliche of um, the best things in life are free. Well, it's actually the best things in life are not necessarily monetary, like with a monetary value, um, I think is the core of it. So thinking about things like um, the social capital that we have, so the relationships, the um, social connections, the networks, the communities that we have, like that can also be a form of wealth. Like there's no point in you achieving fire, but having uh, no friends and no family, no uh, connections to be able to enjoy that with. Um, but then on the flip side, like you may not necessarily need as much money to achieve uh, fire if you do have strong networks, because you may find that um, you are sharing with other people some, um, you know, shared accommodation or shared food, and that can re uh, lower the financial capital um, that you need. Um, you might find that uh, someone can, you know, with word of mouth, uh, help you get an extra job that might be able to boost your income. So there's all these um, interconnected uh, things about that form of wealth. There's about uh, eight different forms of wealth that uh, have come, or, or forms of capital, I should say, that have come from this idea of um, permaculture. But just another couple of them that I think are quite important are intellectual capital as well. So that's the knowledge that you gain. So again, if you are uh, learning new things and so therefore are able to do things um, you, for yourself, like like I have now um, with some of the virtual assistant stuff um, that I've done, that does increase the opportunity for me to make an income that way or experiential capital is kind of similar, knowing how to do things like, uh, you know, fix your plumbing or uh, being able to renovate a house means you don't need to outlay money for that. So you rely less on financial capital for those things to make um, fixes or renovations and rely more on your experiential capital. So there's a few different ways of thinking about wealth then there's yeah once you see it as part of a bigger picture it's like oh okay well living capital which is um you know the natural environment around you or even a home garden like okay well I actually have a big one of those I am quite wealthy in that area and so even if you do have a low bank balance like you, if you can actually appreciate all those different other forms of wealth and that can be quite liberating yeah, I so related to that, especially the Renault's bit. So I was lucky second time round to marry someone who's quite handy and we've been doing some Renault's and nothing major really, but, you know, like he was able to, you know, install a new toilet system. He was able to do some not really electrical work, but, you know, change light sockets and, you know, do some sort of repair work on some ceiling. And I mean, we did painting, which I know a lot of people can do painting, but things that were a little bit above and beyond that. And I sort of watched him do this and I went, I don't even know who we could get as a tradie to do this because it was an older style apartment and there's a lot of these skill sets aren't really around anymore. But it certainly made a huge impact on our finances because we did that over the first week of January. I had a tenant moved out on the 31st of December and we had that rented out by mid-January interestingly enough to an affordable housing scheme. So it's gone to a 60-year-old woman who is escaping domestic violence. Um, which I'm, we're both very proud of. But the only reason we could turn it around so quickly was because hubby's good at renovating. And so all those forms of capital, you're right, they are so important in terms of your financial growth. Yeah, and it also gives you a bit of a uh, mental health boost as well, like the thrill of being able to fix something yourself and being able to achieve, uh, yeah, certain goals 
That's that's so great. Um, it's something that's definitely underrated. Um, I think people were finding during um, when we were having lockdowns around the place earlier in the pandemic, like, yes, uh, we might have needed some plumbing work done, but you literally couldn't get any external plumber to, to come in. And so at those times, the people that don't have that knowledge, they were uh, as much you know money as they had. They still couldn't get that uh, that service done. So yeah, being able to do it yourself is so so important. Yeah, I hear you. And and my husband used to live on acreage, so they often couldn't get people out to do minor things like um, plumbing repair work. So as a community, people just worked out how to do it, and they'd help each other because it was just too yeah. hard to get people out. You'd wait too long; it would cost too much. You just didn't do it. Yeah, and I guess that comes back again to that social capital side. Like if you do have neighbours that you have a good relationship with that you can ask um, that have those skills, uh, can ask to bring them in. Um, yeah, that's, again, another form of wealth there. Yeah, exactly. And I'm huge, as you probably are or you might know that I am, huge on the sharing economy. I'm one of the admins in my local Buy Nothing group. I love my Buy Nothing group. Yeah, it's been huge during COVID. It was hard for a while because we really reduced our giving and receiving just because of the risk of contamination. But even during that time, people sort of needed support, especially those who had kids that were homeschooling and they didn't know what to do. So sharing, you know, school books and resources, jigsaw puzzles. Oh my God, jigsaw puzzles that just get passed around the group is just fabulous. And sourdough starter that I've been giving away. And I think I've probably given away, I don't know, maybe 30 sourdough starters this year. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I love that. And I've definitely joined my local Buy Nothing group uh, now that I'm here in Adelaide. I moved into um, my own apartment about five months ago and I'm just looking around. Um, I'm sitting there at the moment. Most of the things that I've got around me, I've either come from a Buy Nothing group, like my dining set, a TV that I got last weekend, some other uh, chairs and so on. So, um, they're, you know, keeping those things out of the waste stream. Um, but otherwise, uh, secondhand as well is uh, very important. So looking at Facebook marketplace for free or um, reduced cost uh, items and op shopping and all of that. Uh, Yeah, definitely being able to make such a difference. And knowing that I tend towards being a bit of a minimalist, I do like to uh, keep things light, not have too many possessions so I can travel quite easily. I know that these things and I can fairly easily pass back on to the buy nothing uh, community in the future. Um, so it is great that way. And other elements of the sharing economy that I'm probably going to tap into are uh, things like car sharing schemes. So we have uh, one called Go Get here in the city. So um, we can, rather than need to own um, a vehicle, uh, it's more about the prioritising that access over ownership. Like I don't need to go to all the expense of owning it myself, but if I can access it, yes, I'm willing to pay a little bit more on the one single day that I might need it every occasion. But, um, yeah, let it let everyone else uh, share that resource too. Yeah, I've had a go-get membership in the past. I had one for about a year. I had given away my car when my husband and I got together and I couldn't drive his car for a range of different reasons, which I won't go into, mainly being too short. And um, he had quite a large dual cab ute, you know, because he used to live on acreage. And his car wasn't quite suitable either for inner city apartment living. So in the end, we've got one that we can both drive. We've got one second hand and it works quite well. But in that intervening year, I used GoGet for the occasional times where he wasn't around and I needed to drive without him. And it worked quite well. It was a bit challenging when you've got young kids because you sort of got to walk there and then get in the car. And it's like, it's it's a bit of an, an added kind of thing. But for a young single person in an urban environment, it's like, why own a car? I mean, seriously, it's it's so convenient. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I understand there's different circumstances and I, yeah, I myself am that <laughs> young-ish, I think I'm still young, young-ish uh, solo person um, in an urban environment. So it does suit me quite well. I realise it might not necessarily be the case for, for families. But uh, just, you know, just reassessing um, what is the default path, does it actually inter- suit uh, your particular circumstances or can you do things in a slightly different way and just knowing how much, uh, you know, how much of your finances that can liberate then if you do not necessarily need um, an extra car or, or one car per family. Um, yeah, it makes such a difference. Wonderful. Now, finally, you've given us many frugal things to contemplate on, but do you have a particular frugalista tip to share? Yeah, this, where do I start? Um, I think in essence, um, just remembering what frugality really is at its core, and it's about being efficient with resources. And usually we default that to money, um, but it's also your time and your energy, your physical energy and your mental energy. And so being efficient is also about being quite clear on what the right things are to focus on. Yes, while you may be able to get something for cheap, like is it actually a thing that you need? How long are you spending? to try and get it that cheap? Like, would it be better just for you to buy it in the moment? Um, yeah, just just thinking of uh, frugality, not just trying to get the absolute lowest cost thing in the moment, just understanding, is it the right thing for me? Do I even need it? Is it is my time better served in um, just getting it uh, now or a substitute or, yeah, just thinking these things through in a different way. Yeah, good advice. And I had to admit that I noticed that you must have gone without a TV for five months. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I do tend to I occasionally stream um, shows on my laptop. Um, so I probably still won't be watching free to air, but I have uh, got this new screen set up in a way that I can be doing yoga in the mornings, listening to um, free yoga on YouTube, um, but have my uh, better setup rather than my small laptop. So yeah, that's that suits me just fine. There's, there's plenty of other things um, for me to be doing, including listening to podcasts such as yourself, <laughs> rather than watching TV. So All good. Excellent. So definitely on the frugal spectrum. So thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. How can our listeners find you and how can they subscribe to your weekly roundup of financial independence news? Yeah. So if they go to frugalityandfreedom.com, you'll find the subscribe uh, button on there. Um, Also social media, I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook at frugalityandfreedom and also on Twitter, frugalityfreedom there. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast and also to join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group so that you can chat about this and other topics. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.
wake up soon.